Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. This episode contains some mature content regarding sexual morality, so parental discretion is advised. I want you to consider the following question. What would it take to say that we had found life on another planet, say Mars. What if we found water? Well, water is a sign of potential life, but it's not life itself. But what if we found a living, single-celled organism with a unique genetic code? Would that be enough? I think absolutely. I think the scientific community would be up in arms and ecstatic. Well, why is it that such an organism is called life on Mars but when it's inside the womb of a woman on Earth, some people say it's not life. Location does not determine if something is alive or not, or whether it should be treated as alive. You know, the issues surrounding life are vast, and they're difficult topics. As I've said before, as Catholics, we must value, protect, and speak for the dignity of all human life, from conception to natural death, regardless of the circumstances. That's hard, but that is embodied in the fifth commandment, which is you shall not kill. This commandment simply doesn't mean like don't murder each other. It does mean that, but it forbids anything that threatens the, uh, the livelihood or harms the dignity of human life. The catechism says this, human life is sacred because from its beginning, it involves the creative action of God and it remains forever in a special relationship with the Creator, who is its sole end. God alone is the Lord of life from its beginning until its end. No one can under any circumstance claim for himself the right directly to destroy an innocent human being. This commandment actually calls us to foster not only the physical, but also the spiritual, 
emotional and social well-being of self and of others. And so as a result, this has to do with a lot of different issues. So firstly, the fifth commandment forbids murder. You know, I mentioned that, but it should be obvious. Uh, the Catechism says this, that the deliberate murder of an innocent person is gravely contrary to the dignity of the human being, to the golden rule, and to the holiness of the Creator. The law forbidding it is universally valid. It obliges each and everyone, always and everywhere. Now, there is such thing as self-defense. Self-defense against an unjust aggressor is morally permitted. We also have a moral duty to defend our own life and the lives of others. Self-defense, or the defense of others, has the goal of protecting the person or persons who are being threatened. But once the threat is eliminated, no further action is required. So in those situations, the deliberate killing of the aggressor can be only permitted when no other solution is possible. This also touches on the issue of abortion, which we've talked briefly about in previous episodes. Um, we know that scientifically, from the moment of conception, a human person with a unique genetic code has been created and is at its first stage of development. That's scientifically known and agreed upon. We believe as Catholics that that life, even in its smallest form, must be protected. God said to us through Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you. A prophet to the nations, I appointed you. That word prophet means mouth, which is the ability to speak. And we, as Catholics, need to be a voice for the voiceless. We have to recognize our body and our soul are both gifts. They're created things made by our creator God, and we are made in his image and likeness. So you may have heard this phrase surrounding the issue of abortion, my body, my choice. You've probably heard that before. Maybe you've even said it. Um, but firstly, we have to recognize our body actually isn't ours. It says in scripture, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been purchased at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. But furthermore, that phrase actually doesn't have legal standing either. There are hundreds of things that I am not allowed to do or choose with my body when they affect another person in a negative way or when they harm them. So for instance, strapping a bomb to my body, using my body to harm someone else, exposing my body publicly, throwing my body in front of a vehicle, those things endanger others. And the law says I cannot choose to do them. When abortion is discussed, people will often bring up the horrific instances where a woman has been raped or has suffered an incest or has a very grim medical diagnosis. And so it's important to point out that these three categories combined only account for 1% of the abortions in the United States. Only 1%. That's according to the statistics of Planned Parenthood. So the other 99% of abortions are simply a matter of convenience. Two people freely choosing to enter a sexual act, but not willing to deal with the natural consequences of biology. It's really unfortunate that these 1% scenarios are actually brought up so often in arguments for abortion, because those people, they need our compassion and our care. They need healing. They don't need to become the poster children for abortion out of convenience. They don't need to be re-victimized by seeing their trauma thrown into a political debate. Even in cases of rape and incest, an abortion statistically, does not help. In fact, the evidence needed to bring justice disappears with the child. 
Medical research studies also report that women who've experienced the trauma of rape report that the invasive surgical procedure of an abortion was actually felt like a second rape. Abortion increases the likelihood of sterility and infertility. It triples a woman's likelihood to commit suicide. It dramatically increases the likelihood of drug and alcohol abuse. It accounts for statistically lower life expectancies and puts women at greater risk for a multitude of other medical conditions or diseases later in life. So if we value the life and the health of women, that is not what women deserve. We can do better. Abortion is not about women's health. If it was, there would not be such risk, trauma, and negative physiological and psychological ramifications for women as a result of it. I'll tell you, you will find thousands of women who regret their abortions. I know many of them myself. But I do not believe that you will find a single sound-minded person who honestly regrets having a single one of their children. So it's our responsibility to not only protect human life, but to make sure that women have the access to the resources that they need so they can see the myriad of other options available to them. There are some other issues surrounding life and pregnancy that have to do with the Fifth Commandment, such as things we've briefly mentioned before, like in vitro fertilization, embryonic stem cell research, and cloning. Now, the church is against these because they all involve harvesting human embryos, unique human lives with unique genetic codes, harvesting them in their earliest stages of development and freezing them, dismantling them, studying them, or allowing many of them to die so that one might be viable. However, the church does support adult stem cell research from stem cells um, that are donated from adults or stem cells from umbilical cords because those do not involve harvesting human lives. They are uh, donated from consenting adults. They can be used for research and to treat many different diseases. Another important issue regarding life is physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia. Um, intentional euthanasia, sometimes called mercy killing, that is murder. Regardless of the modem, motives or means, euthanasia consists of putting to death those who are sick, disabled, or dying, and it's morally unacceptable. Catholic moral tradition has always taught that we can continue medical procedures that are burdensome, extraordinary, and disproportionate to the outcome. However, respect for every human being demands that ordinary treatment of the dying uh, is necessary. The provision of food, water, warmth, and hygiene. Ordinary treatment is always a moral requirement. In instances when a person has been declared brain dead, the patient can be disconnected from mechanical devices that sustain breathing and the heart since there is little hope of the person's recovery. Many physicians take the Hippocratic Oath, which uh, they commit themselves to doing no harm. The relationship between a physician and a patient should be marked by compassion. So we should not allow the elderly and the infirm to be pressured to consent to their own deaths by assisted suicide or euthanasia. We should protect the poor and minorities from exploitation because pain is a significant fan, uh, factor in the desire for physician-assisted suicide, and the poor and minorities often do not have the resources for the alleviation of pain or the medications necessary. We should protect all people with disabilities from societal indifference, hostility, and any bias against them. We should never present suicide as a socially acceptable solution to the difficulties of life or to suffering. Christ shows us the dignity of suffering on the cross. Another important issue with life is the death penalty or capital punishment. Um, if you do the math, it actually costs way more money to put someone to death than it does to house that person in prison for life. 
Our prisons ensure public safety, and in order to prevent false accusations where future evidence could emerge that could clear wrongly convicted innocent people, which happens all the time, like the Innocence Project, you can check that out, uh, there's no reason that capital punishment is necessary. It also prevents those prisoners' lives from being treated with dignity, and it prevents them from having the opportunity to repent, to reform, and to try and live a good, productive life. So in 2018, Pope Francis added this paragraph to the Catechism. It says, The Church teaches, in light of the Gospel, that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviability and dignity of the person, and she works with determination for its abolition worldwide. One final life-related issue is war. War has been a big part of our modern world, um, and we believe as Catholics that every possible means should be taken to avoid war and to work toward peace. However, there are times when the use of force may be justified to correct an injustice. And there's a tradition going all the way back to St. Augustine um, in the 4th and 5th century, uh, where he developed conditions uh, for a war to be considered a moral or just war. So these are called the just war conditions, and there are four of them. First, um, the damage that's being inflicted by the aggressor, it must be lasting, grave, and certain. That means it's, it's um, not just a momentary thing, it's very bad, and we have to be sure that that is actually what is happening. Secondly, all other means of putting an end to it must have been shown to be impractical, impractical or ineffective. It means we can't just jump into war. We have to try negotiating, try doing other tactics. Um, there, thirdly, there must be serious prospects of success. Uh, can we actually win a war that we get into? And fourth, uh, the use of arms must, pr must not produce evils that are greater than the evil to be eliminated. So if someone is you know, committing a genocide, we can't go in and bomb the entire country and kill even more people. That would be unjust. Only if all these conditions are met could a war considered, uh, be, be considered to be justified um, or just war. In fact, in 1983, the bishops of the United States formally rejected nuclear war because they recognized it probably will never justify uh, the ne necessary conditions for a just war. They wrote this, Under no circumstances may nuclear weapons or other instruments of mass slaughter be used for the purpose of destroying population centers or other predominantly civilian targets. We do not perceive any situation in which the deliberate initiation of nuclear warfare on however strict, restricted a scale, can be morally justified. There are many other issues this commandment touches, such as things like terrorism, scandal, slavery, human trafficking, etc. But these are all obviously wrong in every single instance. There's no justification for them in our world today. So I spent a little more time talking about some of the others where there is a little bit of a gray area. But uh, we tend to know when there's an affront against the dignity of human life. It speaks to our hearts and our desires for justice. These are serious and heavy and important topics and issues. They're also very difficult because there's so much misinformation and opinion out there that often has no basis in fact. Someone can say something that sounds very pithy and insightful on Twitter, but is not actually backed by any substantial peer-reviewed scientific evidence. So as Catholics, we have to be critical. We have to do our research. We have to look at both sides, look at what they say, and seek the truth, and apply to that the truth that's been revealed to us by God in the full revelation of God and the teachings of Jesus Christ. We can't simply believe things because a celebrity, a teacher, a minister, a politician, or a news network says so. We need to do our research. We need to make sure that that is credible. We need to find reputable sources and have conversations that constantly expand our understanding. 
That brings us briefly to the eighth commandment. Yes, we're skipping a couple. Those will be in future episodes. But the eighth commandment says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, you shall not lie. We live in a world that challenges the idea of truth. You have your truth, I have my truth, and there's no such thing as absolute or objective truth. In other words, the world basically says, this is an argument. It is absolutely true that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Do you see the paradox there? It's not a logical or possible argument. We're always judging truth up against some kind of unspoken rule that we all tend to agree upon. Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So pursuing the truth means pursuing Jesus himself. So if we don't believe in truth or we say anyone can believe whatever truth they want to believe and that's true for them, we're actually turning away from belief in Jesus Christ. We're saying there's all these different sources for truth when there really is only one. Now, the main way we sin against this commandment, obviously, is by lying. Jesus says in the Gospels, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, the evil one, the devil, is called the father of lies. So we have to always be on our guard and always seek to live in the truth and cautiously determine whether what we're receiving, hearing, or experiencing from others is true. However, to respect privacy or for security reasons, the Catechism also says this, no one is bound to reveal the truth to someone who does not have the right to know it. So just because I'm someone who doesn't lie and I want to tell the truth, that doesn't mean I'm shouting my ATM pin or my passwords to my email out on the streets to anyone who asks, um, or I'm you know, allowing what I say in the privacy of confession or in psychology appointments, uh, in therapy to be just spoken out. We need that confidence and that secrecy. Um, There's also certain information, though, on the other hand, that we have a right to know as a society. There needs to be transparency in society, politics, and certain organizations. So the media is usually responsible for communicating those things, but it doesn't always do an honest job. So the catechism encourages this. The information provided by the media is at the service of the common good. Society has a right to information based on truth, freedom, justice, and solidarity. But unfortunately, especially in politicized times or when it comes to difficult moral issues, the information we receive is often clouded with logical fallacies, with opinion, and it's often not based on a full understanding of the issue or on peer-reviewed research or factual accounts. As Catholics, I'll say it again, we must do our research. Jesus is the truth. Is he not worth it? Some people spend time sharing only their feelings or uninformed opinions, uh, which are okay, but much of what passes for truth is the effort to kind of justify individual behavior. We want to agree with those around us, not to be left out, or we want to behave a certain way. So uh, we never question a belief because it's easier not to. We conform our opinion based on what those around us think or what is most agreeable or comfortable. But remember, to be holy, which is the whole goal of being Catholic, the whole goal of pursuing Jesus is to be set apart, to get to heaven, to be a saint, to be holy. It all means the same thing. That word holy means to be set apart. So if we're serious about our faith and our relationship with Jesus, we will be set apart. We will believe differently. And that is okay. Because we are living in pursuit of the greatest truth ever to be revealed to humanity. If we have friends and family who don't love us or separate themselves from us simply because we pursue the truth differently or we believe something differently or we're more critical about a particular issue, then those people don't really love us. 
And we have to be willing to extend love to those people that we disagree with. But we must stand up for truth. We must stand up for what is right, good, just, what honors the dignity of all human life. That is what Jesus did. And if we want to follow him, that is what we must do also. 